Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. I am thrilled to have on the program today Stacy LeBaron. She's the host of a Community Cats podcast. And let me tell you a little bit of a background. Both Stacy and I live in a rural part of Vermont called the Mad River Valley. And she was nice enough to reach out and say, hey, there's a fellow podcaster who lives right here. And that isn't something that you typically run into uh, in the Mad River Valley. So she was nice enough to reach out. We had some coffee. We uh, definitely had the gift of gab and said, hey, let's bring this to uh, the podcast, Breaking Money Silence. So uh, I'm really excited to have Stacy with us today. She's been involved in animal welfare for over 20 years, and she currently hosts a three-day-a-week podcast called Community Cats Podcast, where she interviews nationally and internationally renowned experts helping with problems of cat overpopulation and cat welfare. And as a proud cat mother, I welcome you, Stacy, to the call. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about our conversation. Um, we started it at the table when we were having coffee, and I'm glad that you were willing to uh, come on and uh, talk a little bit more about this money myth. So if you want to do me a favor, Stacy, can you tell the audience a little bit uh, about yourself and then also introduce your money myth? Uh, sure, yeah. So um, you've shared the inf- information about my interest in animal welfare. I've always had a passion and interest in being involved in the nonprofit world um, from my early college days um, going forward. Um, at one point, I thought I wanted to be an architect, but then somehow that spun into Urban Planner, which then spun into managing nonprofits and helping nonprofits fundraise uh, you know, for their good deeds. Uh, but even before that period of time, I would call myself a closet individual investor. So when I was 10 years old, I had the uh, ability to make the decision about my purchasing my first individual stock, which was Pepsi, and um, learning about what the decision process was around investing and managing money and being a good steward for money. Um, so that started when I was 10 years old, and that was 40 years ago. So folks can do the math on that. Um, And because of those efforts, it really enabled me to play a strong role in the nonprofit world as as I grew up. Uh, So that's sort of my my background in a nutshell. I did grow up in um, an investing family. And so we did talk about money quite a bit at the dinner table. Um, The myth that I would like to talk about today is um, my kids will never control my finances. Uh, And I think that that myth is... um, really uh, important because I think a lot of older folks feel that their kids are never going to play a role in the money that they have. Um, And I am dealing with an aging parent and I'm dealing with the fact that I am now responsible for helping her manage those funds and basically steering the financial ship while she is alive. And I think that as a parent with our kids, we need to think that way in terms of our wealth passing on to them 
think like they already are controlling our money and are playing a role in investing our funds and learning from our kids on on how to uh, invest better and invest going forward. Well, and there's a couple of things that stand out for me. One is uh, the idea that you started investing at 10 and that your family talked about money, but not only talked about money, but talked about investing. And so tell us a little bit about how that impacted how you think and feel about money and investing as you grew up, because 10 is a really, really young age uh, to be engaging in that type of uh, conversation. Yeah. So my family has always had a very strong tradition of um, taking advantage of uh, gifting. So whatever the federal government allows us for gifting, um, our parents, our grandparents have always taken advantage of those opportunities. And so therefore, as stewards of those funds, um, we've always been taught not to touch capital, um, but yet to watch that capital grow for future generations. And then whatever income you get off that capital, if you do need to use it, you know, to buy the milk and that kind of thing, that's a decision that you make, or you can choose to reinvest those dividends. Um, and so that's just sort of a tradition that we've had. Um, one other thing, too, we would talk about different publications at the table. Uh, whose investment philosophy do you, you know, believe in? Thinking about, you know, do you trust Value Line? What's your faith? Faith, Morningstar, mutual funds, gold, real estate. You can go through all the different asset classes, and we've probably had those conversations, but just sort of understanding what makes you feel comfortable and what can you do to sleep well at night. And my investing strategy is different than my 14-year-old son's investing strategy, but we need to do what we need to do so we can sleep well at night. And it wouldn't be great to know as a 14-year-old what your investment strategy is going forward so that then you can take advantage of compounding and really build that wealth and that comfort when you're growing up through your 20s and feeling very nervous about who you are and what you are and not have to worry about, you know, how to pay the the rent every month. Absolutely. I mean, you are you're in such a family or grew up in such a family and are now recreating that in your own family life of having uh, financial literacy and conversations that a lot of family members uh, don't have. And so, you know, we'll get to your myth of my kids will never control my finances in a minute. But it sounds like um, that was something that was instilled in you by your parents? And um, was it both parents, one parent who was kind of adamant that I'm going to teach, uh, you know, my kids t- about money and about uh, how to make an investment and how to take care of themselves financially? Right. So I have, I have two sides of the story from each parent. So my, my grandmother on my mother's side um, went through the depression actually buying stocks and bonds. And so um, out in Ohio, so they were very early investors in the stock market, and it was an investment strategy led uh, by my um, by my grandmother. And then she taught the trade to my mother, which she then brought those skills to me. Now, I, I don't have the little black book, but my mother was trained by having a little black book and notating and, you know, going to the brokerage house and paying the big fees. And obviously, a lot has changed in that period of time, and technology has entered the world. But in essence, the the concept of, you know, researching a good company and investing in that company because you believe in the products that they're making um, still stands true today um, throughout all of all of us in the family. My father was created his own company um, in the late 60s. Uh, he's an institutional um, 
advisor, uh, money manager for a lot of pension funds. Um, and he owned that company for about um, 40 years or so and then proceeded to uh, to sell that company. And so he worked in emerging markets. So he helped um, establish investments in Latin America and in Russia and um, in the Middle East in the very early days. And so he was sort of working in a different side of, of the world. So he was on a big risk taker where some people would think if you're 100% in equities, you're a big risk taker. But in essence, he was probably a much riskier investor than she was. She was the conservative one in the family. Um, so those are the kinds of conversations we'd have around the dinner table would be I'd sort of have Warren Buffett on one side and I'd have George Soros on the other side. And they were definitely pretty interesting conversations. And they were conversations. They weren't telling us what to do, but they were just sharing their own experiences. Well, and I love the fact that it was a grandmother and your mother. And uh, before it was trendy to be a woman in investing, they were really kind of uh, doing that and engaging in that behavior and learning in addition to your father. And so I think that's a really key point to to think about you and your history and the fact that you truly believe very strongly um, that kids should be engaged in financial conversations. Um, so that kind of ties back to our myth of, you know, my kids will never control my finances. Say a little bit about how that's a myth and how that can get people into trouble and how you're doing something different in your life. Yeah, so, you know, when I've had conversations with people about how they handle their own wealth and their thoughts about passing their wealth on to their kids, there's this very sort top-down theory, which is, oh, well, I only trust them with $5,000 or I'll only trust them with $1,000. And there's this worry about them not doing the right thing with that money, whatever that might be. And I'm saying right in quotes because one person's right might be somebody else's wrong. Um, but yet, if we don't work with our kids as they grow up um, and take advantage of quite a few tax opportunities out there um, to be able to gift your assets without imp implicating any um, taxes, you're just, you're just passing up a tremendous opportunity. And there's also compounding, too, um, where you know, the earlier you give the money away, then the longer they have for the growth and the more chance that that money has to grow in a lower taxed environment. But and my secondary thought on this issue, too, is that um, we're all going to be living a lot longer and a lot of us are going to be faced with diseases of the mind or other diseases as we age where we're not going to be able to handle our finances. And so we really need to be on the same page with our kids with regards to investing. They need to know what we're doing and we need to know what they're doing and continue to have that conversation not just around the Thanksgiving dinner table once a year or at the family meeting, but to have a continual conversation about the importance of understanding what the trends are, what the theories are, how people are working with money, um, because your kids are going to be managing your money at some point. Statistically speaking, there's a very high chance that that's going to happen. And so you need to see how they're going to behave around money when you're living with them, when they're in the house. When they, when they make mistakes, when they need to be able to pick, be picked up. Um, I don't ever like the phrase about how to talk to your children about money. I like to use the phrase of how to talk to your children with money. And that's a much more powerful statement, I think. 
Interesting, because I know in the field that I work in, right, financial services and all the consulting that I do, there's a, there's a lot of discussion as to if, when, how uh, you want to talk to kids about inheritance or teaching them how to be financially literate. And what you're saying is really fascinating, that, that if you break money silence early and if you have a conversation with your kids with money, that it's going to be a healthier setup. And I have to say, when we first started having this conversation, I thought, oh, that's an interesting kind of a little bit of a twist. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And so um, I know you're practicing uh, this in your life, but what advice would you have to parents who are listening in right now and who are maybe having that initial pushback, Stacy, of like, well, I can't do that. That, you know, I I don't maybe I don't know enough to even teach them about investments. Like, how can I have this conversation with them if if I'm not up to speed? Right. Well, if you don't know and if you have someone advising you, then I think that you should share that process with uh, your child. Um, I also think that if you have a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, or whatever age child, um, you know, not six maybe, but, you know, I think anything over 10, I bring them in on the conversations with any financial advisors or planners that that you have. Um, And not only that, but once they get to a certain age, and I certainly think high school is a, a perfectly appropriate age, even though you are their your their guardian and they're you know in their in charge of their trusts or custodial accounts, however you have it set up, I think you should allow your kids to have a relationship with your own financial advisory team and let them decide if that's the team that they want to have helping educate them about money um, and using them, there's going to be this huge transfer of wealth. And I believe the percentages are quite high that when the transfer of wealth happens to the next generation, a lot of advisors are let go at that point in time. And so what a what better way than to get yourself hired by a 14-year-old to help advise and manage their money and develop that relationship directly at that age even though legally it might not be powerful, it's certainly worth the time. And the important part is allowing that uh, child to participate in the conversations, to be heard, and to learn how to develop their own um, you know, asset allocation package. That's such interesting information. We're going to take a quick break and continue the conversation. Did you know that 44% of Americans would rather talk about politics, religion, and death than personal finance? And there's a real cost to this money silence, to society, your family, and the next generation. Kathleen Burns Kingsbury's new book, Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, Talk More Openly About Finances, and Live a Richer Life, explores the history of the money talk taboo and offers readers practical tips and tools for engaging in healthy financial communication. Pick up your copy today. Breaking Money Silence is available on Amazon and bookstores everywhere. Join the revolution at www.breakingmoneysilence.com. So Stacy was just talking about uh, the large percentage of advisors who lose assets at times of transition. So basically, when one generation passes away, the next generation doesn't necessarily hire them. That statistic is 90% of advisors lose those assets at times of transition. And for families out there who are trying to pass down wealth, 70% of families fail to successfully pass down wealth over three generations just because of not feeling comfortable talking about 
money and wealth with their kids or training their kids to be financially literate. And so Stacey LeBaron, who's my guest today and also the host of Community Cats podcast, is talking about her idea of really having these conversations with your teenagers and allowing them to learn about investing and money management well before we usually think it might be the quote unquote right time to do so. Um, so what tips do you have, Stacy, for anyone listening out there, whether it's a young person, uh, an adult child, or uh, maybe an aging parent as to how they can start this process if they haven't started it already uh, to engage in this type of family dialogue about money? Yeah, so I mean, my first recommendation would be just to open up the thought process. Nobody has to know the answers to every question. So if you are just casually emailing with a child, say it's an older child, somebody who's in college or maybe in their early 20s and and you haven't had this conversation, you can certainly in email or text even just start casually mentioning things like, hey, you know, I'm going to see my financial advisor in a couple of months and, you know, I have some questions and I think they might be important for you. You know, would you like to come along or would you like to find out about it? Would you like to just even listen to the conversation? I can record it. I could play You could play it at your what's most convenient for you. Um, and it takes a few tries. You can't necessarily get buy-in right away. Um, and you also have to find out what mode of communication works for everybody. Um, it might not be face-to-face meetings. So it's, you know, how do you communicate best with your child and use that channel to start bringing up um, finances and, and that kind of thing. And I would first and foremost share what your greatest worries are about your own financial skills. You know, I some people will say, I worry if something happens to me, my mother, you know, or my wife doesn't even know how to write a checkout, you know, so what's going to happen if something happened to me first and then, you know, your mom is left behind, will you be able to help with the finances? Um, there's, it's a whole range. You can do it through an estate planning side. You can do it from a money management side. Um, you can do it from the, like, I'm thinking about buying a house and, you know, how do you work out those numbers, but opening up all those conversations and just doing it casually, you don't have to say every quarter I'm setting aside this time to talk to you about such and such. It's got to be in your everyday language. So if you've got a kid in the car and you're driving them to soccer practice, it's okay to talk about investments and, and stocks and, you know, ask different questions or have you thought about this? Just to, uh, just to get it in the everyday conversation is, is very much worthwhile. And then usually every January, I'll have a conversation with the kids talking about what gifts they receive. And um, what I'll have two conversations pretty casually throughout the year in terms of, what investments that they're most interested in. And then we work together to create um, their assets and the equities that they want to invest in in the right way. I love the idea of it being casual It also being very, uh, I'm going to say client-centric, even though that's not exactly the right word, but really looking at if it's a younger person, what mode of communication works for them uh, and opening up that dialogue. And, and certainly with behavioral change or with any of these kind of conversations around money and wealth, really knowing that it's it's not a, a one-off. It's not like I'm going to ask, they say no, so that's it. I mean, with any teenager especially, <laughs> you know you have to sometimes uh, pitch it a few times before there's buy-in. Now, I have one question before I, I let you go. Time goes so fast on these podcasts, but how has the financial services industry or the people that you work with, how receptive have they been to having a 14-year-old in the meeting or... Um, 
you know, thinking about a teenager hiring them. Uh, I'm really curious about that, knowing that sometimes advisors do get stuck in that that pretty black and white uh, legalese kind of mindset. Um, have they been receptive or has there been pushback, Stacey? Um, so they've been relatively receptive. Um but I will say it's been more in the in the philanthropic sphere. Um, we also have a family foundation, and so we've had the kids involved in the family foundation. And that tends to be where the conversation usually opens up first and foremost, which I don't necessarily agree with. But yet our kids are very um, actively participating in our foundation. And I think that's where the financial services industry is most comfortable having uh, younger folks involved in it. Um, I am sort of the financial advisor for my kids. And I will say it's an interesting feeling when your kids get upset at you at doing a a stock pick that they weren't 100% supportive of, and it turned out not to be the best decision. And then so I've sort of been, uh, you know, reamed by my own, my child, who's my client, um, as an investment advisor. So it's an it's an interesting hat to wear from that standpoint. but I think that um, I think the financial advisory world may have a hard time um, understanding or working with kids that are, you know, in that anywhere from 10 to 18 range. And I believe that 18, they really should be independent. I know some states are more like 21, but um, I think it might be a hard pill to swallow. But I think that the most successful advisors out there are going to be the ones that do that because they're the ones that are going to have client retention, which is really the ultimate goal of the advisory services world is to have that family retention and to be able to assist with building generational wealth. And so I think that they should jump on board and really look at the younger generation as, um, you know, as clients and not potential clients, but clients as of today. And, you know, first of all, I would agree with you. Uh, Second of all, I do think that the ones that are on the cutting edge are thinking of ways in which they can be useful, um, not only to the the families and the parents, but also to the next generation. Um, But, you know, you have a real life scenario here where you have learned from your mother and your grandmother uh, about money from an early age. And now you're helping um, your mother manage her money um, when she needs that type of support. And at the same time, Uh, continuing to teach your son. So are there any last minute thoughts about how that has impacted your life? I just want to stress that it's not hard. Um, You shouldn't be in investment paralysis. Uh, Even if you're not as intimately involved with reading investment books or studying Value Line, or I listen to the financial podcasts while I'm driving back and forth to visit with my mom in Massachusetts, even if you're not committing to doing that kind of of work, please don't be shy with talking with your kids about anything financial, whether it's budgeting or um, investments or estate planning or worrying about the future. You just have to be open and um, share with them. They will listen. And then in turn, you need to be responsive and listen back. Um, Make sure that you're listening to what they say and really try and find a middle ground. Our investment styles are going to meet in the middle, um, and you'll be much more comfortable feeling about uh, passing along your wealth to your children, knowing that you both speak the same language. 
Well, I love what you're up to, and I really appreciate you sharing this. And once again, breaking money silence with me today. Um, Stacy. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, where we can find your podcast, because as I said in the opening, I have my friend Avery Grace, which is my cat, and so I'm a big uh, proponent of uh, helping cats out. Avery was a uh, kitty that we got from a shelter, so please let us know where we can listen in. Sure thing. So my website is www.communitycatspodcast.com. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram um, at Community Cats Podcast. And uh, so you can find us all all on social media. But the website's really the best place. I I think we have a a great website. Um, And really, the reason that I was able to uh, help Um, the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society was the organization I ran for 20 years and was able to assist over 100,000 cats over my 20-year period with them. And the only reason I was able to do that was because of all the the gifts that I was given by both of my parents to instill in me in the importance of uh, prudent investing tactics and educating myself and, and working on that. And it really enabled me to be able to help so many cats in Massachusetts, as well as assisting with about 160 other organizations around the country with regards to their CAP program. So it really, um, it's really been a great gift that my parents both have, have given me. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for being a Breaking Money Silence revolutionary. Until next time. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.